Blog Talk Radio. welcome you all back for another week of shows, and I want to thank those of you who came out to the Body, Mind, Spirit Expo in Portland at the Convention Center this weekend. It was so nice to see various people, some of you return visitors, and, and you know, the hugs most of all. I have to say, I just had a wonderful time, and thank you, those of you who came out um, today. I am just so happy the joy continues because today I have coming on in just a moment PMH Atwater, who is returning to the show once again. She is an international expert, a pioneering authority on near-death experiences and Today, we are going to explore the latest, including her wonderful recent travels and explorations, and we are just going to discuss all kinds of things today. She has written so many books, I could fill the intro with them, but I'm going to say that her latest book is Dying to Know You, Proof of God in the Near-Death Experience, and on a, a related but different topic, also Children of the Fifth World a guide to the coming changes in human consciousness. And she's written many other books on on near-death experiences. She is on tour this year and next, and I hope that we will see you at one of her events as she's touring. And PMH actually experienced three NDEs herself, which is how she became a pioneer. And she's been working in this area since 1978. She's won countless awards. She's spoken all over creation. She's been on TV shows like Larry King Live. Many of you have heard her on Coast to Coast AM. Um, She's just been all over the place, even the United Nations. And she is also such a person of the heart, one-on-one inspiring and helping people as a prayer chaplain and spiritual counselor as well. And I invite you to go to her website, pmhatwater.com, when you have that opportunity because she shares so many things all the time. And with that very lengthy introduction, because there's just so much to say every time, I am just so delighted to now bring PMH Atwater on the line. Welcome back, PMH. Well, you must like like scruffy people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you, that's how I see myself. 
bit coffee and on the edge, you know. Well, you know, considering I just came from the forest, <laughs> having having ah. gone for for a walk and out, and it's chilly today, PMH. It, you can feel it's chilly here too. It's in the forties <laughs> and it's raining. Yeah, it's a little bit. Well, of course, you know, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. So, so when you say scruffy people, I think, you know, I, I I'm feeling, you know, just a little bit just very natural having having just walked in from my wonderful walk this morning, kind of kind of restoring, you know, after having this wonderful time at an expo over the weekend, you know, we come back and we we spend time reconnecting with nature yeah. and and getting back into our world, and now I'm here with you. Oh, well, this is really fun. Well, you know, I come from Idaho, so I'm I'm basically a Westerner anyway, even uh-huh. though I'm living in Virginia. You know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I laugh about that, and, and, and I say I moved east, or I should say I immigrated to the east, because I needed to learn diplomacy. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, <laughs> people out here, are not quite as bold and as blunt as your typical Westerner is. And um, so I, I've i been learning a lot of lessons. <laughs> and they've all been good for me. Yeah, it's all good. Uh-huh. It's all good. You know, I grew, know. Up, I grew up in Colorado, which is much like Idaho. And, oh, yeah, and, it um, is. My, my family was all from the New York City area except for me. So I kind of got the best of both worlds. All right. I love it. I love it. Well, what I love, what I really want to share um, is a couple of trips I've had lately because they were so important. Um, The trip I took in October was to San Antonio, Texas. It was um, one of the big national conferences of the International Association for Near-Death Studies. We call them INs, just, you know, for their initials, I-A-N-D-S. So we call them INs. Um, And they had their big conference in San Antonio, right there in the Riverwalk, which is really nice. (laughs) Nice for tourists. You can get out there and, um, you know, rent one of the boats and, you know, go through that river that winds through the city, you know, of all Mm -hmm. things. We have a city that that has a river that winds through it and has all kinds of little touristy places and restaurants and all, all that, you know, um, all those kind of things. But, but what, you know, um, wh- why I'm so thrilled, absolutely thrilled about the conference in October that yes. was held in San Antonio is because it was the largest we've ever had. I mean, really large. And there were people there from all over the world. We had people there from various countries in Europe, from Australia, from India. And hold on to your hats for this one. We had two researchers from Iran. Wow. I mean, let's let's all take a deep breath here. Two researchers from Iran. And the way they are able to do near-death research in Iran and get by with it is because they compare what they find with various types of luminaries or or, um, special spiritual people 
um, that's part of their mythology or part of their history um, as Iranians. So, so they'll compare them to these various, you know, visionaries and and these specially enlightened folk, and and they'll compare the near death experience to that. And what they're finding is they don't get any comparison, cross comparison at all with life reviews. None of these special people in the history of Iran, um, with none of them is there, you know, uh, um, any kind of notation that they had a life review in their special illumination or their special light experience. But the rest of what they experienced when they were illumined or, you know, picked up by the light, or they entered yes. the light, or they died and come back. Uh, the rest of it all compares. The, the rest of it all cross-compares with whatever happens to anybody who has a near-death experience. We're talking at least 4 to 5 million uh, yes. worldwide, probably more. Yes. So we, we've got this cross-comparison in Iran of all places, and I, for one, am so thrilled. And, yeah, I, and I talked with these guys and, and yeah. you know, yeah, got them to, to, in a corner and talked to them. They're so friendly, uh-huh. and, and they're so bouncy and enthusiastic and positive. You know, I had a sort of a hard time... Um, realizing that these were people from a very closed society, and and either they were rejoicing before, because they finally got out, <laughs> or that closed society isn't quite as closed as we think it is. Yeah. And I'm I'm beginning to wonder about that because we're hearing all kinds of leaks, if you will. Mm-hmm. about the people there, the women there, the men there, their ch- children there. And um, I don't know if you've looked at the latest Time magazine. I haven't had a chance yet to read it. But their cover is of an Iranian woman. And she's wearing the headscarf, but very bright clothes. Oh, bright clothes, bright patterns. And it, it's talking about Iran in 2025. So that's a little bit in advance. And they're saying whatever route Iran goes by 2025 will affect the entire world and will uh, affect us to the point that it will have a direct effect on our economy, our religion, and whatever we do. And I, I didn't realize that Iran was that important. But it is. And, and you know, in, in Children of the Fifth World, and let's see if I can remember this correctly, I'm talking about that time in Iran when after they kicked out the... Uh, um, uh, I've forgotten his name right now, but after they kicked out their their great leader, yeah, the, the yeah. sort of appointed by Europe and the United States, after they got rid of that guy, um, and and then brought in, you know, the, the typical Muslims, um, mm-hmm. they they instituted 
a national, I'm going to call it a national edict or a national rule, where they wanted to increase their population. And they wanted to increase it very, very badly. So they paid um, families, uh, women, men and women of age, to have babies and to not only have babies, but they gave them enough money that they could feed them properly, they could love them, they could hold them, they could um, teach them, they could be schooled, they could get out in recreation, that that, um, that the moms and dads could spend quality time with their children. Now, now this this edict or this rule lasted, I think, I, I know for at least 10 years. I kind of wonder if it lasted longer than that, maybe 20. It's, it, it's in Children of the Fifth World if you want to look up the actual facts. Yeah, yeah. And during that time, when the children were actually cared for, people actually wanted to have children and love them and care for them, those children grew up as fifth root racers. Every one they were of them. nurtured. They were so very nurtured. They, so were, they were so able nurtured to and so loved yeah. that they became the new kids. Well, yeah. those new kids, we might call them millennials, when they grew up, they could not accept, and they still cannot accept, the way Iran is run. And yeah. every once in a while they rebel. Yeah. Um, they've they've been punished again and again and again, and still they rebel. Yeah. And and what I'm noticing now, in you know, like this year, 2015, Iran and and the Ayatollahs and all these all these you know clerics are beginning to listen to these people and beginning to uh, acquiesce to these people, beginning to bend a little bit to these people. This is a whole group of citizens that are unlike any other Iranian citizen in their history. They are that different. So when I'm looking at this 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 brand new Time magazine and it says Iran in 2025 will change the world. On to these special kids that came in during that time frame. They're yeah. not like the typical Muslim. They're not like, you know, they are really spiritual kids. They're spiritual people. Uh, they're intelligent. They're geniuses. They're creative. They're innovative. They're willing to learn. They're willing to open up their hearts and minds to the world. So we've got a whole new We've got a whole new population base that is, that is, you know, growing up the lines here. And look what look what could happen. Yes, it, and, it, and feels, it feels almost prophetic in a way, PMS. Yeah. I mean, just because that part of the world is so pivotal. You know, I 
I grew up with biblical prophecy, for example, having been brought up conservatively, and and you know even going all I mean just the 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 birthplace of civilization. I mean just that entire area. I mean I find it amazing that all of this is happening there. That that this awakening needs to happen there, perhaps most of all. Well, n- not perhaps, absolutely. Yes, and, exactly. and what, what what I find is that during that period of time, and it, it, it's just a you know a, a certain period of time that Iran chose to increase their population, and they did it by paying people to have babies and paying them to feed them, clothe them, love them, and take care of them. Just doing that took them out of the Ayatollah. However, you pronounce this guy's name, Omeni. It took him. Ayatollah them out of their, yes. Yeah, that of that culture. Yes, yes. It took them clear out of yes. the typical culture for that part of the world. So now yeah. they're saying by 2025, this group will change the world. I don't doubt that for one minute. Yes. Well, it gives exactly. us more than hope in a way. It's like a confidence that it's all going to, that the world is awakening in, in miraculous ways and, and and that we're seeing it. We're seeing it right now. But we're seeing it in ways we didn't expect. You know, we've got our mediums, we've got our channelers, we've got our psychics, we've got our forecasters, we've got our various business people and and government people. And yet what is actually happening is not really what was predicted or certainly not the way it was predicted. Mm -hmm. We're getting... Well, you know, we can play a little bit here and say we're getting what God wants. <laughs> Not well, necessarily that's what we the want. way things work. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I guess that the that's what we, the, the with the capital W, want. You know, the the way that that we we choose for it to unfold. It's just, you know, yes, you know, isn't it interesting how how and and it's as if things. They they come through with echoes of what we've always heard. You know, they're they're these echoes, and yet it forms this beautiful reality that is beyond whatever, you know, anyone like in my childhood would have would have suggested heaven on earth might be, for example, or or um, just and and you know a lot. There was there was a lot of darkness, and there has been. I mean, this transition process in the world. Oh, I mean, yeah, right now I can see everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot going on. I mean, there's no question that that part, that element exists. The 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 birth pangs or whatever of the the awakening. And well, listen, and if 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 anyone is daring enough, they can. Um, you can get on my website, scroll over to uh, newsletters. I, mm-hmm. I publish a free monthly newsletter, and if you're not a subscriber, you want you might want to become one. Yes, yes. But there is an archive, and you want to scroll over to that archive, and I, I believe it was the August newsletter, where I talked about gin, D-J-I-N-N. Mm-hmm. 
Jin is the uh, Middle Eastern counterpart yeah. to um, the Christian idea of Satan. Yeah. Or or um, the idea of the devil or the um, provoca- provocator. Or I, I know I didn't say that right, but anyway, the tempter. And 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 Jin is the Middle Eastern version of that. Now, read that. I mean, I lost some subscribers over that one because uh-huh. ISIS is Jin. It's not Muslim. It's not Islamic at all. It's pure Jin. If you go back to all of the predictions and writings and and routines and understandings of who and what jinn is, what they prefer, how they work, what they do, it's it's an ISIS playbook, point by point by point by point. And it just blew my mind because I didn't realize it was that tight. It is. It's absolutely tight. These people do not practice Islam. They practice jinn. Um, and it's just, whoa. <laughs> so if you want to get back to that August newsletter and read those points, I mean, they're absolutely right on. There they are. Well, so, meanwhile, so back the, to travel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, well, one question on this, just that I know that a lot of people, and surely many listeners, because we've got listeners coming from all different spiritual backgrounds, is that, um, you know, I have heard it. It's say because you know a lot of people see now I can't speak I've heard it say I've heard it said <laughs> we we yeah, we'll, we'll you and me I can't yeah, even say I, this we're reinventing word. language <laughs> <laughs> apparently but you know we just it's the energy um, it's just I guess the the question because I know that that. Uh, many of your explorations, and we may get into this some more later, but it's not that there are shadow sides. I guess is the is the thing. There are shadow sides to to, to things, and um, I I sense that sometimes people really respond in fear. You know that that um, you know that shadow is in control of the world. You know that that I hear this said a lot until some ultimate day when it when it switches and yet it's emerging but I feel like you know and, and I don't know I guess I'm not really asking this in a good question but just when you mention I always think of it as the jinn I don't know that's the way I've heard it the jinn um maybe like like almost equating to to demons like like plural right um, right but yeah. Uh, and, and, yeah and you know how do we even on coast to coast a lot I'm hearing a lot of shows about you know fallen angels it seems to be something that they're talking about a lot over there and there's just a lot of discussion of this and you know, well, how do you, we... you could compare our mythology and all of our old stories to what is actually happening, and and that comparison is there. We can use different terms, different names to call it. We can call it jinn. We can call it shadows. We can call it fallen angels. We can call it, you know, whatever we want to call it. Um, the Christians over here prefer to call it Satan or the devil. It, it's it's the same energy. And it seems to manifest in the same or similar ways. It's just that in the Middle East, it it is um, manifest manifesting 
in a very specific way. The, the idea of black flags, wearing black, uh, uh, brutalizing women, teaching yeah. children to kill. That's all typical gin. I mean, when I say that the, that ISIS is using the gin playbook, I'm not kidding. It is point for point for point to the point that it's almost breathtaking. You look at that and you're saying to yourself, or at least I said to myself, why isn't the military onto this? Why, why isn't our military and our government recognizing this pattern? Why am I the only one who seems to recognize this pattern and call it for what it is? Where is the military? You, you know, that that would enable us then to be able to handle it better, to be able to deal with it better, and to be able to to plan ways of counteracting. As long as we treat these people like typical terrorists, we won't be able to do the full job. We won't be able to fully extract them or deal with them in meaningful ways. Also, and of course, by now our our government has caught on to this. I think um, certainly the military. We we've just simply got to change the way that we handle YouTube, that we handle the internet, that that we handle what's put on. Because these these outfits, um, you know, they have very clever, creative ways of putting their material out there to rad- radicalize people, boys and girls, not just not just the guys, the girls too. And you know, if you've ever seen any of of, of their um, documentaries, I mean, they're they're absolutely. Um, get the blood going, get you feeling good, bring back the idea of, you know, um, supporting your country, supporting your church, being a patriot. They don't, they, they don't ever get into the real truth of of how they govern and what's happening in these cities that they've taken over. Um, of course, that's never on. Uh, their their YouTubes or their podcast or you know their their inter- internet at all, but you know we're not waking up and doing a good or ca- a good counterpunch. You know it's such a it's such a mix though PMH because it's like once you get into like you know controlling the content on the internet for example it it you know then then. What about you know? It's those borderline areas of of freedom. You know, is is you know, it's a hard thing to do because there's always that stuff around the edge. That I mean, there's the ultra ultra extreme. You know, advocating yeah. awful things. That's of course horrible. But on the other hand, there's just this is what I, where I always have trouble is is the whole freedom thing. You know, where yeah, well, you where, can't prevent it because of the freedom issue. Well, and and, exactly. and you know and the right to a choice. You can't prevent it, but how you do can counteract raise, it. You know, and maybe this is my greater question that I was trying to ask before, is that it seems like all these traditions would, you know, we we've seen 
the the darkness that can emerge in like how can we find our way into reconciling that with um you know to put it simply god is love <laughs> i mean you know and uh-huh. and this could go all the way across the spiritual experiences that people have when when they die even just just how do we how do we reconcile it? Because not all of these things are easy. Obviously, it's the hardest question in on the world. In the world, I feel what happens here, and even what some people report when they go to the other side is how to reconcile absolutely it with God and love, with near death experiences, spiritual experiences, transformations of consciousness. Those are not all easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, you you become changed. You're bathed in the light. Um, you know, you're forever changed by that. But being able to take that back into your life is not simple. And it takes, oh, I would say between 14 to 20 years, really, before you're able to deal with the darkness light brings. Light always brings darkness. Mm. And until you can learn what that is and how to handle it, uh, don't tell me how spiritual you are. Yeah. Yeah, I'm simply not interested. I'm interested in those who are able to connect with, quote, unquote, the pearl of great price, that peace, that understanding that comes from knowing um, how to handle the darkness light brings, because it does bring that darkness. Um, yeah, and, and you know we can sort of take this idea and bring it into the military and the governmental aspects as well. And what I'm doing, what I'm preferring to do, is I'm looking at what's happening in Iran. Yes, some very nasty things still happen in Iran. Yes, uh, some of those um, uh, Humani, Ayatollah Humani, or, or you know, how would you pronounce their name properly? I <laughs> still have a tight fist. Yes, yeah. but look at the undercurrent, and the undercurrent is exciting. It is loosening the grip of these severe leaders. It is happening, and it's happening to hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in Iran. And we're starting to get little glimpses of it here and there. They're not allowing much of it out yet. We're starting to get little glimpses of it here and there. And if nothing else, we got some big glimpses of it in October in San Antonio, Texas at the IANS conference. And, you know, I was just Yeah, so just the, the hint of that kind of awakening. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and, and you know, maybe it, it seems like this is true, you know, our own history of our of Western civilization, you know, there have been many dark things that have happened, no doubt. I mean, look at the, the history of, of, of Christianity and some of the things oh, that have happened. Oh, we have not <laughs> been saying, no. <laughs> and some, yeah. of the, some of the popes were just awful. Well, and you, know. you think about the Inquisition and and things, and and you can ask why. I know it's it's easy to ask that, and I think we often do. But somehow, um, 
society awakens and and you know this is just a world you know i feel like nobody comes down here without realizing what it is they're incarnating into on this planet it's <laughs> well, like it, it's like everest you know i mean you're really taking on a um you know multiple lifetimes climb. yeah you're gonna yeah. have a real climb <laughs> quite the adventure I, I i feel and it's a growth adventure i mean you have to think pmh you know God, however we want to express God, it must be just, well, I guess God is us, but just must be the most adventurous, I mean, expansive. It's not It's not some passive thing. You know, so often we hear, yeah, actually, I'm getting at something new here. It's just that, it's, and I feel like it's expressed through your work and what people have observed. And, and I, I'll, I'll remind you that many years ago I had my own expansive yeah. experience. And, and, and what you I went, went through, yeah. Yes, I went, and that was over, you know, it started in 2003. I mean, and I'm only now really starting. You're right about that. It takes a long time. And, and um, it's just so much bigger and vaster and not, it's not just plain vanilla big. I mean, it's incredibly <laughs> intricate and beautiful. I mean, and it's it has those shadows, and it has... It can be almost impossible to understand it all, just the the darkness and the light. And so, so yeah, and I think that's coming through. And yet, that how beautiful that they're awakening, and and even despite all the yeah. darkness in in Iran. Well, I, I encourage um, everybody out in Radio Land to to get Time Magazine, the latest issue. You know, I don't read have it. it right now. I I used to get it all the time, and then then it stopped recently, not too long ago, and and I need to restart it because I I miss it. But um, well, go to your but yeah, I, I actually don't get have that one issue. issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, on Iran, and um, what we might expect or come to uh, be prepared for in by 2025. Yeah. Uh, certainly by then there's going to be a lot of changes all over the world, but um, with Iran, um, that change could be pivotal. Um, and, I'm, and I'm saying that in, in recognizing how many millions and millions of people are in the Middle East, how many of them are Muslim, um, and... You know, there's just simply got to be a way that that all of these people, or at least a majority of these people, can uh, find forgiveness, can yeah. find alternatives, can find a way to enhance their societies, to um, rebuild their cities, um, their, their, you know, their transportation, uh, their infrastructure, and especially their schools, and and come aboard to the modern way of teaching, so that they're not left behind. And 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 I'm starting to see that in Iran, certainly in many other countries, but not like I'm seeing it in Iran. And, again, I'm just really quite thrilled with what I'm seeing. Um, moving right along, yes, yes, I, I'd like do. to talk about one other trip yes, uh, that I've taken. Do. 
and that was also fairly recent. And that was to the Finhorn Gardens oh. in Scotland. I ah! so want to hear about this. You know, and I have wondered about that place. <laughs> oh my gosh, have I that place? I have wondered about um, PMH. You know, I'll just tell you before you start just how I heard of that when I was a teen still in a conservative household, know nothing about the New Age movement, really, or just heard a little bit about it. There was a movie um, where My Dinner with Andre, it was called, where a skeptic and a spiritual person talked about the spiritual person's visit to Finhorn. And from really? that day on, in the early 80s, it was I looked, it came out like 1981, I have been curious about that place. What is the deal with Finhorn, how it plants a seed in the people who I feel are called to go there someday? And I know that's part of your story as well. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. So, yes, tell us about Finhorn <laughs> and tell us about your lifelong relationship with it, even well, you know, without going there, just how it did this with you. Well, I first learned about it in the 60s. Mhm. That and and I believe it began in the fifties. It began with Peter and Eileen Caddy, husband and wife. Yeah. They had three boys, so their three sons and Dorothy McLean. And um, Eileen Caddy could talk with God, and she did it. <laughs> she did it in in the bathroom on the toilet. That was the only place she could oh, find any peace. Sounds like it sounds like a uh, hey that I, that rings a bell. Act that sounds that's very that's familiar. That's the only places. place. Uh, How that, interesting! That, that was quiet, and she had some peace. That worked, and, and she did it through writing, um, through some kind of spiritual writing. Anyway, she she talked to God. Uh, Dorothy McLean could speak to the angels and the fairies. Uh-huh. And then Peter was one of these gung-ho kind of people that could do anything, and he believed all this stuff. He just knew that, that this is what he had to do. He had to um, follow his spiritual mission, and he had to do it by uh, proving, absolutely proving, that angels and fairies exist, and if we work with them, they can uh, change our environment and they can change our lives. So he was sort of like the gung ho person, you yeah. know, the big guy who can who can take what these women are doing and run with it. And, and the three sons just sort of kind of went along with mom and dad, <laughs> and and grew up that way. And yeah. then later on, two other men came forward. I don't remember their names. One of them could actually see Pan, the god Pan, and could actually see the angels and fairies. And the other one, um, kind of like that too. So they sort of added to the bunch once this, um, once this um, uh, adjoining was all put together. So l- let's talk about, first of all, the original crew. The original crew mm-hmm. is mom, dad, mm-hmm. three kids, and Dorothy. Finhorn, let's talk about Finhorn, Scotland. 
Yes. Finhorn, yes. Scotland is in the north of Scotland. So we're talking, and it's close to the sea. So we're talking winds from the sea, cold, northern Scotland. We're talking the land of Macbeth. Yeah. And the Finhorn Gardens is not is not far from the Macbeth Castle. You know, I always oh, thought that Macbeth was a creation of Shakespeare. No, there really was a Macbeth, and he has a castle. <laughs> it blew my mind. Huh. Uh, I I didn't get a chance to tour it. I, I went through the Brody Castle instead, but I'll, I'll talk about that a little a little bit yeah. later because yeah, this is their castles up there are not like the castles of Europe. They're mm-hmm. different. And and so we'll, we'll talk about Scottish castles later on. But but anyway, the landscape up there then is that kind of well, you know, some people could call it morose, um, but it but it's that um, oh, um, deeper colors of, of of green, quieter colors of green. It's not bright. It's not a bright landscape. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sort mm-hmm. of a quiet country landscape. Um, and and it has these deeper tones of colors. So we're not talking about Brazil, <laughs> where everything is bright and yeah. happy. We're talking about Scottish people. You know, a good Scotsman is are practical, and they're they tend to be Calvinistic. And you know, everything has a place, and everything goes in the place, and we do things according to Hoyle, and that's that. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't argue with a good Scot. Uh-huh. And, and they love their whiskey, they love their brandy, they love their own wine, but especially whiskey, Scotch whiskey is, of course, very, very famous. And <clears throat> while I was up there, and I know these are little asides, but... Yeah, yeah. No, they're interesting <laughs> asides. You just side. keep going. This is what I want to hear. This is just wonderful. There's, there's no restaurants up there. Not 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 really. No, there are pubs and taverns. Uh huh. So if you want to go eat with the family, you go to a pub or a tavern. I Uh never saw a restriction that said uh, if you're under 21, you can't enter, or if you're under five, you can't enter. No, I didn't see any of these restrictions anywhere. That the people bring their family to pubs and taverns because that's the only place they can where they can gather as a community and talk and visit and enjoy, you know, a little beer or a little whatever, a little bit of whiskey, and then their their fish and their you know their meals. So so they they come together in community. In pubs and taverns, so it's a very different, <laughs> it's a very different lifestyle well, than what you, we have here. You know, I kind of <laughs> let me let me mention something. Is I kind of relate to that in a way because um, I live in in Oregon in a small town here, and in our town, over a hundred years old is an Irish tavern, <laughs> which is <nuts. laughs> but 
over a hundred years ago, I would have to believe that was the place, you know, and and it still is to some degree. But of course, now you do have all those restrictions at certain hours anyway that kids can't come in. But yeah. I'll tell you what, when it's dinner time, you know, before those hours, there it's still a meeting place, and I think it always has it. So in a way, maybe the old west, the wild, the wild old what west, was the pioneering <laughs> west may have been. It could be, but that's a that's an actual Irish pub, and you know, owned by the same family for over a hundred years. So, so anyway, that just kind of triggered well, that thinking. Was, you know, these similar. remote places may have this in common. You know, wherever yeah, they are, that, because they're all it, far north. They're yeah, all far yeah. north. Uh-huh. So, where are you going to go? Yeah, uh, and you know, and you're, so in, I, well, you're in an isolated place where there's not. A lot yeah. of people, and so they're not going to be a bunch of restaurants, and and they just come to the tavern because everything's there. I guess. <laughs> I, well, I, I don't didn't know, find a single restaurant. There must be some somewhere, but I never found any. Uh-huh. Uh, I just found uh-huh. pubs and taverns. That's where you eat. Oh, interesting. Uh, now, Finhorn. Uh, let's do some logistics here. Finhorn is a peninsula. It it sort of juts out into the ocean. Um, It's not a narrow peninsula. It's kind of like a fat one. Uh, But it still juts out into the ocean. And toward the point of of the peninsula is a fishing village. And the fishing village is called Finhorn. Now, back down a little bit from the fishing village, maybe just a couple of miles, is where we have the Finhorn Gardens. Now, if you're looking at the ocean, which would be due west, then to the left of the Finhorn Gardens and that area is a very, very large bay, beautiful bay. And to the right... (laughs) Hold on to your hat, dear. Okay. (laughs) To the right is a military air base, Uh a real military air base that runs sorties all the time, very active during World War II. I mean, this is a real McCoy, right next to the Finhorn Gardens. (laughs) How interesting. Now, that I didn't know, that it was right there, where, like, planes are taking off or something. No, They're taking off, and they're landing all Uh the time. Uh, so here we have Eileen and uh, Peter and Dorothy that have this vision, and they are told to go there. Now, let me describe what they found in the plot of land where they are between the bay and the military air base and the fishing village a couple of miles north, or east. No, no, not east, west, excuse me, west, uh, toward the ocean. What they found was sand. They found sort of like the leftover trash of the military air base, a former airfield, and just, if you'll pardon the phrase, crappy dirt. Huh. There was just nothing there. Uh-huh. There was really not what we call soil. It was just sand yeah. and, and, and nothing. I mean, there weren't any plants. I mean, there's just nothing. 
so they move into there with what they call a caravan. In Scotland, they call these caravans. Here in the United States, we call them trailers. And they had a really, really small trailer. They kept the original trailer as a as a historical relic. So I got to see it. Yeah. Really. I don't see how even one person could live in that trailer successfully and feel good about their life. Where in... Did six people manage to live in that one little trailer? I mean, wow. you look at that trailer and you just sort of scratch your head and you yeah. say, it must have taken incredible dedication <laughs> to do yeah. this. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. you know, y- y- you got this edict from God and it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, it's oh, easy. I, I imagine so. I mean, I mean, you know, they're living on peanuts practically. So what yeah. can you afford? You can't afford nothing. So, so through the direction of God, of the overlighting angels, and the nature spirits or the fairies, they created what is called the Finhorn Gardens. We know the place by the Finhorn Gardens. It is not Finhorn, because if you say Finhorn, that means a fishing village. That's the village. And most of us say that, I think. I think most of us call it You have to say the Finhorn Gardens or Finhorn Foundation. You can't say Finhorn, because the people in Finhorn, the fishing village, they get a little uncomfortable. Right. Because right. they've been there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years and you know, uh, don't mess up don't mess on my turf, you know. I mean mm-hmm. this is our we've got squatter rights. <laughs> yeah. You cannot use the word finhorn without permission. And yeah. we don't want you to use it anyway because we really don't believe in what you're doing. So it became the Finhorn Gardens. Now what they achieved by listening to God, overlighting angels, which they came to call devas, and nature spirits, which we call fairies, they created a garden that is so lush. It broke every gardening rule in the world. They were able to raise 32-pound cabbages. Mm -hmm. They were able to raise vegetables and fruits year-round that just blew the minds of everybody on this planet, not just in Scotland. They were able to prove, verify, prove that if you Go according to that advice. You can create miracles, which is what they did. And in the process of gardening, they came to realize after a decade or so that they're also gardening souls. Uh That people can come there and be changed by being there. And so that's what sort of they're doing now. And I say sort of because the Finhorn Gardens has grown 
It's a little larger than it was originally. In fact, it's quite larger than it was originally. Um, they own two other properties where they garden, and mm-hmm. they they sell their produce, you know, all over. Um, they make a lot of money by doing that. And um, the closest city is Flores, and they own the Clooney Hotel and the Clooney College in Flores. They also own a fleet of buses that go back and forth between the Finhorn Gardens and Clooney College uh, because there they can sort of bed down, you know, visitors and this kind of thing. Um, They can have classes there. Um, They can have classes at the Finhorn Gardens. So um, they have a nice hall there so they can accommodate really a lot of people. And they now run uh, a year-round operation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's worldwide. Uh, I mean, their fame is worldwide, and people can go there and take classes. They can they can learn how to live in community. People can actually go there and live, but you have to take classes for about five years before you do. Um, to to learn how they how they were able to do this, and how you're able to live in community. Um, so that they teach all kinds of things. Uh, you can go up there and have a bed and breakfast. They've got several bed and breakfasts up there that you can just go there as a tourist. Um, you can go there for a vacation. You can go there for any kind of reasons. Um, there's about 141, maybe 145 people that live in the garden area itself, the Finhorn Gardens. It's sort of like a little village, and um, there, there I think is over 400 people that live in the contiguous area that yeah. work with uh, the Finhorn Gardens. Yeah. Um, that participate. So that's, that's really, really a lot quite of people large. There. Actually, that's yes. amazing to me. In fact, yes. you know, you entered, you must be psychic, PMH. I was just going to ask that question you answered. Maybe I just won't ask any questions. I'll just send them to you and <laughs> tell us that. Well, please. they have a large Because I was just going to ask you how many people live there, and you answered yeah. it immediately. Isn't that the way? <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, they have so, a large hall or, you uh-huh. know, a place where people can speak and they can have workshops and all this kind of stuff. They have uh, a community center, large place where they feed people, and you can also have meetings and this kind of thing. They have a stipulation with all people that live there that you have to put in so much service per per month, I think, or is it per week? I'm not quite sure about that. Oh, I would but, believe that. Yeah, you, you know, you have to put in so many hours, that's, for instance, in the community that's kitchen. Wonderful. Or, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, if so only everybody is helping out. Yeah. Now, yeah, that's what blows your mind is the community. Yeah. The Finhorn Gardens community. Most of the people there built their own home themselves or uh, they were able to get maybe old whiskey vats and, and um, used those, uh, sort of remodeled those into a house. Uh, they have all kinds of, of dwellings, therefore, 
because people use their own creative abilities to make them uh, in accordance with what can be done there. And, you know, just walk, walking up and down this street, it's all pathways. There are a few streets, a few people there have cars where they can go in and out and, you know, in the area, um, go to the doctor's office or what have you. Mm-hmm. But 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 most of the trans- transportation is your own feet and yeah. and the pathways, and that includes high winds, rain, everything else. You're outside walking the paths um, because they don't have any kind of a little special service. You got to get out and do it yourself. Um, so I walked all over there, and the homes, the homes, Susan are so creative, so beautiful, so innovative. Um, A lot of the homes have solar on the roofs, but they have these large windows all across the roofs. Um, There's a lot of glass, a lot of um, uh, walls that are are glass. Mm -hmm. Um, There's... Uh, they decorate the outside like you would decorate the inside. So if they want to have flowers inside on a wall, then they can be outside on a wall too. They have all kinds of sculpture that's on the walls outside their home as well as inside their home. Uh, their little garden patches or their little lawn patches. Uh, one person has a miniature Stonehenge. In her uh-huh. front yard. I mean, it's very creative. Yeah. And while I was there, there was a guy there on a motorcycle. He came from another t- town. He was um, he takes photographs for magazines. And he was there just photographing the homes because they're so creative. Yeah. And it was, I have uh, no doubt. You know, he was commissioned to do that for yeah. an article on architecture. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just, it's just fabulous what's there. But, you know, I'm a good researcher. And, I, I, you know, I, I do observation research, yeah. a lot yeah. of it. So yeah. I'm just standing around, maybe sneaking behind a tree and watching people, just watching people. Mm-hmm. And the way they walk, you can literally see streamers or waves of energy in the air as they walk because they walk in a type of um, peace. Yes. There's just so much peace there. And I want to say right away that there's no titler head. I mean, there's a committee that runs the place, but that committee is a fairly large committee. There is no big honcho that that directs everything. The community works together. The people work together. They go for consensus. So here you have this very high spiritual place, and people there, some of the people there are atheists. Some of the people there love to drink. Uh um, There's no drunks there. But there are people there, yeah, they want a little spot of Scottish whiskey. So there want people a little bit of brandy. Are... How interesting. And 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 I talked to some of the atheists. In fact, I stayed with one of them. <laughs> she ran a bed and breakfast. She was a Brit. Her name was Henrietta. She's a good Brit. Uh-huh. Um, 
And uh, she feels the energy there. You know, the energy is unmistakable. It is different. And people feel it. And whether they want to say it is of God or not, the fact is everybody feels the energy and wants to cooperate with it and work with it. There are plants there I've never seen in my life anywhere on the planet. There are flowers there, um, colors of flowers. I did not know a flower could be that color here on the planet. As you're describing this, PMH, I, I almost feel like you're describing some place right out of Middle Earth. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. it's the Shire. You know, it they, feels like the Shire. <laughs> it does. You know, it does. And they have a road. <laughs> yes, it's, some of their dwellings are patterned after the Shire. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a lot like the Shire. Shire. And, and they have sanctuaries all over the place where you can go and pray and meditate. And these sanctuaries look exactly like um, like the Shire, like buildings in the Shire, you know, I in have the ground. No doubt. Stone and, you know, you really feel like you're in the Shire. And another thing that I just love, it, you know, it's either foot traffic or bicycles. A lot of people have bicycles. Not that many have, have cars, but they have a lot of bicycles. Uh, but uh, but another th- thing I learned while I was there is the light is different. You're outside, you're in the sunlight, but the light is different. And you notice it right away, the light is different. And artists come from all over the world to paint there because the light is different. So finally someone, I don't know who it was, could could have been the the fishing village. I, it wasn't it wasn't the Finhorn Gardens. Someone else called in scientists to uh find out why the light from the sky from the sun is different in the Finhorn Gardens. Now there's one other place nearby that also has this peculiar light. And they couldn't find they couldn't find any reason. The light up there is very clear, and it's very white. Hmm. You, you you don't get um, yellow. You know, uh, w- when we're looking at, at the sun here, your place, my place, any place else in the United States, you get this sense of yellow or gold. Up there, it's white. And it's a bright, clear white. So the soil is different. The air is different. The sky is different. Um, The people are different. It's this sense of true community. Yeah. Um, It's not the sense of a spiritual community necessarily. And I want to make this very, very clear. Because there's atheists up there and there's people who are drinking, you know, all this yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's But you get this sense of true community. Yeah. You know, many people come up to me and they say, you know, you're so spiritual or you want to be spiritual or, you know. And, and, and I make it very clear, don't call me spiritual. Absolutely not. I don't want to be considered spiritual. I want to be considered whole. Because if you're whole, you are all 
that God created you to be mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and 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 you know physically. The, the, you get the whole the whole thing. I want the whole thing. I want to be all that I can be. And 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 I got that sense. I actually seen it working in the Finhorn Gardens. That sense of wholeness. And and we like to call it spiritual. And I yep. suppose, you know, the word kind of applies, but it's more than that. Some of the other things they do, if a tree dies, yes, and I don't know how they do this, but somehow they remove um, some of the branches or most of the branches, and then they uh, remove maybe some of the bark or most of the bark, and and they send down, and they must lacquer it or something, and, and the tree remains a, as a sculpture. Oh, isn't that something? Isn't that crazy? In the gardens, I mean, we have these tree sculptures. Well, I guess they, they, they value them. I mean, Yeah, and I, inside and, the community center is one of these tree sculptures. Uh-huh. Inside the um, hall is another one. I mean, floor to ceiling, huge trees. Well, I wish and, people would have done that with the trees around here. Um, yeah. Because sadly, in the Pacific Northwest, people can be very quick to to cut down the trees. Hey, they do that and, in Virginia too. And <laughs> and it's just I mourn for them. Um, yeah. But um, well, you know, it just it, it's sad that 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 development runs so so rampant yeah. and, and that there could be communities that honor I mean even if they a tree honor dies naturally nature. honoring that I mean that yeah, that they honor nature. Honoring nature. Yeah. <laughs> Inside honor your house yours. or outside your house, you're still in nature. Yeah. Uh, um yeah. And, and that to me was a revelation. Inside, outside, didn't matter. You're still in nature. You're still in a sacred place in the sense that everything is in balance. So inside, outside, everything in balance. And, and you know, that's the word. The word is balance. Not yeah. necessarily spiritual, but balance. And the Finhorn Gardens are living proof that you can have that kind of town or home or village or place that you can have it here on earth, you can have it now. There are places like this, and the Finhorn Gardens is one of them. You know, something, something PMH, when you say balance, you know, a lot of times there, there's something so pivotal here. It's when you say that atheists live there, people who drink, you know, in yeah. a huge amount of balance yeah. live there. Well, here's the deal. What is balance? Is it forcing everybody to, to believe one way? Like you need to be, you know, this is the only path and you need to be spiritual. Or is it respecting that everyone is on a path and believe, you know, that they they have their own relationship with you know, they don't have to even call it the divine. A lot of times, atheists and agnostics yeah. have a beautiful relationship with the universe and the earth. They don't have to to label it or even see, 
you know, some of the things spiritual, so-called spiritual people might see, and they can be spiritual in their own way. And But the key, again, and I'm, I'm still trying not to bring us too close together, honoring the diversity, how in right. diversity there they is do. closeness. It's there in is balance. balance. Yes. It's in balance there. Yes. And it's just breathtaking. Yes. The way they are able to keep that balance, and they've done it for decades after decades after decades. Yes, they've had their problems. Yes, they've worked through them as a community. To as a community that prefers to live in balance with nature. Yeah. And they do it. I mean, it's just there. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't argue with success. There it is. Um, and it's absolutely fabulous. So put this on your bucket list. <laughs> oh, it's been on my. I, I tell you, it has been on mine since I saw my dinner with Andre in 1980s, like yeah. probably 81 or two. And I can't tell you, I will tell you, it is mystifying how this place emerges into our consciousness. And, and that's been my experience with it. The moment I heard of it, PMH, all of my life, that actually had a part of my awakening many years ago. I just was afraid of my yeah, own awakening, so I shut me down. Too. Just knowing about Finhorn, yeah. there was something about it. I can't explain it. It reaches to us, and I just wonder how many people listening have felt that as well. So, yeah, it's been on my bucket list my whole life. I mean, and I haven't traveled a lot. You know, a lot of people who listen to this show, you've traveled all over. I haven't. I haven't traveled very much, and yet that that's on my list. <laughs> well, I tell, <laughs> I every, travel other I tell places, everybody yeah, up there yeah. <laughs> that I discovered this in the 60s, and I wrote articles and promoted them uh-huh. year after year, and I said, finally, now I got to bring my body. I got to bring my yeah, body How along. wonderful. You know, I, I got to actually physically see the place and, and, and be there, so that <laughs> really yeah. Can I ask me. you, what was the conference like there? Because I know you were there with a lot it of other was people. Called, how was, what was, see, it what like? was the name of it? I know, I know um, it was about, was it the afterlife? It was about so, death. Yeah, I, I think it was. was. That's we right. Do had not a, die. I can't remember the name. Yeah, that's it. I think it's it was called We like Do Not that. Die. Yes, yes, We Do Not Die. Or very close. You've got it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, and they had a medium there. They had a psychic there. But most, mostly they had uh, near-death experiencers, researchers like myself, mm-hmm. uh, and other people who could speak to that. Yeah. And they had um, they had the talks. They had workshops. And all, all you know, well-attended, uh, well-done uh, so it was a very successful conference for them. They almost filled their hall. So that that was, you know, really good. Really worked out for them. So and uh, and I want to right now mention the Paralander Gardens. Get on my website www.pmhatwater.com. Get over to the marketplace. Just scroll over to the marketplace. The marketplace is a space that um, I maintain without charge uh-huh. to help near-death experiencers and those like them promote their products, their services, and to mention various organizations and seminaries that these people might be interested in. 
So in the marketplace is the Paralandra Gardens. Now, the yes. Paralandra Gardens is in the United States. It's in the state of Virginia. It's in northern Virginia. And it, it's near a, a little bitty town called Jeffersonton. And that's really the name of it, Jeffersonton. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the difference between the two... Finhorn Gardens is is a place you you visit. It is a community. Yes. Paralandra Gardens is a research facility. They test all this stuff from angels and fairies, and and they then make workbooks, um, various ways that anybody in the whole world can create their own Paralandra Garden or Finhorn Garden. And they have a, uh, a number of flower essences and vegetable essences that they carry, ways to heal, ways to especially heal the earth, and then uh, work with soils and be able, no matter where you live, what the weather is like there, uh, to be able to turn that around so that you can raise really healthy fruits and vegetables. So um, go to the Finhorn Gardens, that place on my website. Find out um, how to get a hold of them, and you can then get the kinds of materials you would need to make that kind of miracle possible for you anywhere that you live. So I want to, you know, I want to emphasize that there is the Paralandra Gardens as well as um, the Finhorn Gardens, and, of course, peruse the marketplace because there's lots of surprises and and special things and amazing people that have sections in the the marketplace. And um, I don't know how much time we've got left. But well, we've I'd got like... about 15 minutes or so. We're, we're, okay, we're just well then I'm, I'm going to very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to very quickly talk about chimeras. Yes. This okay, is a right brand. <laughs> this is a brand new research finding that is stunning. It is shocking. Uh, it is unbelievable. Let me. Um, Let's see. Can okay. Um, besides your genes from parents, you are a mosaic. They're talking about every one of us. You are a mosaic of viruses, batter, uh, bacteria, and potentially other humans in your own body. Indeed, you- if you, you know, let me read this. Okay. Indeed, if you are a twin. You are particularly likely to be carrying bits of of your sibling within your body and brain. Stranger still, your sibling may be influencing how you act. A very large number of different human and non-human individuals, did you hear that, are struggling inside of us for control. Humans are not unitary individuals, but superorganisms. A very large number of different human and non-human individuals are all incessantly struggling inside of us for control. 
Our bodies are really a mishmash of different organisms. Microbes in your gut can produce neurotransmitters that alter your your mood. We already know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. What we're finding out, certainly from twins and triplets, but more especially from the large amount of people who began their life in the womb, a twin, and for some reason the the other one, the extra, is absorbed or reabsorbed by the mother's body. So instead of getting a twin, you only get one. You know, Elvis Presley was an example of one of these. And, and you know, he was born knowing his twin, even, even though he never had one. Uh-huh. Uh, that extra was, re, was absorbed into his mother's body. But he always knew his brother, and he always communicated with his brother all of his life. So as Elvis Presley is an example of the other kind of twin, that is to say one that was never born, but rather was rejected for whatever reason in the mother's body. You know, there might have been yeah. a problem of some kind, who knows, but the the other one was was rejected. Well, <laughs> this what they're able add, to this prove. This is interesting, you know, because I know. Wait a minute, wait like a minute. Yes, how interesting. Susan, yes. you haven't got it. What they're able to prove scientifically. Yes. This is another hold on to your hats moment. Oh, boy. <laughs> a mother can give birth to however many children, and one or more of her children may not have her DNA in their system at all. This has gone to court, and and what they're showing in court is when they do the DNA test, you know, your your genetic testing, they're finding mothers who are absolutely alien to their children. There is none of their DNA in their own children that they gave birth to. And in each of these cases, that mother or the father was one of these missing twins kind of folk that began life as a twin, and for whatever reason, the other one was rejected and reabsorbed back into the mother's body. Okay, okay, let me get this straight. The child of the person like can be this way, that they might, if, if their their mother would have had to have been If um, their mother was what is called a Shimora, or if their father was what was called a Shimora, so in these cases of women trying to establish paternity so that uh-huh. they could get you know money from from the man uh-huh. uh if that man was a shimura there will be none of his genes in his daughter or son's body even though he was actually the father so are you saying there will be none or there could be none? There could be. It's possible. There it, could it, be it, none. It, 
Okay. In other words, it's not that case with everybody, but there. But it's possible, is what. But it happens often enough that it is 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 it's shocking medicine. It's shocking uh, the the courts, uh, trials, paternity suits. It's it's catching people. Shimura is spelled C H I M E R A. So I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm calling it Shimura. Yeah. Uh, Shimura, however it's pronounced. There really is such a thing as as a Shimura. And uh, you know, for myself, speaking for myself, I can't imagine having given birth. I've given uh-huh. birth three times. I've had three miscarriages, three live births. I can't imagine any of my children not having my DNA in their body. Um, PMH? But, but um, it's possible. It's do you possible. want to know something? Do you want what? to know something? All right. My mother <laughs> was a twin. And they know this because she, her, her organs are mirrored. And so they said you had to have absorbed. She was an unusual twin, a very unusual mirror twin. Um, and so as you're describing this, <laughs> uh, oh, and that's go. absolute ev- evidence that she was a twin, um, but the twin didn't develop. And so, and I'm her daughter, <laughs> obviously. I have, have no you ever had your genes tested? Never. I I never. You never. might so what do does it, it someday mean? to find so, out so if what any of your mean? mother's genes are in you. Okay, so what if they're not? What does it really mean? I mean, what 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 do you, I mean, well, I the, guess the, the only time at a spiritual level, what does it have a meaning? Well, <laughs> well, the only time that that it would be important is, is it um if, is if you have to go to court to right. establish that you are or are not the child of. So oh, what was behind it? Of course, yeah. everybody, how, that is just an amazing, um, how, so what it's, it's, it's very possible. Yeah, I'm listening to you yeah. explain this, and I'm just like, okay. And I wasn't even going to say that it was personally, but, but yeah, I mean, that is, that's the case in in um, yeah you know so I don't know what it means spiritual I don't know what yeah who well, it who means reincarnation it means, or the soul it's just something that they're <laughs> discovering you know what it means yeah they it just discovered it this year there are these assumptions you know at, maybe at the greatest level we have these assumptions about life you know that, yeah. that we don't know everything and we are just right on the brink of discovering so much I mean even. Even on your page, you talk about what they're discovering about the planets. I mean, that's a whole other yeah. topic. But, I mean, who in the world? You know, suddenly we hear Pluto oh, has blue skies. I mean, my God. Look, the latest on comets. <laughs> we now know comets carry oxygen, alcohol, yeah. and sugar. Of course, some people will say we've known this all along, that we've known it no, for a long haven't. time, and that we're. And what about you know? We could do a whole show on the thing with the sun that they're observing. That there's some like structure out there where a civilization may be utilizing the sun. I've been hearing wild things about that, where they're interviewing the astrophysicists and and. I yeah, mean, well, it's you amazing. want you want the material that's verified and it is threatening 
our idea of the universe and how, you know, everything came to be, how life yeah. came to be. All those yeah. old theories are now out the door as yeah. of this fall. Uh-huh. You see, as we get smarter... Yeah. And as we have yeah. better inventions, as as we have better computers, uh, and you know, new and different scientists who are willing to uh, tackle the old theories, we're having a lot of these old theories just fall by the wayside. And yeah. one of them is how life could have come to Earth. We now know it could have come to Earth through comets. Yes, yes. Astrobiology, I know, is the the field for that, and I think it's absolutely. I need to get somebody working in that or researching that on my show because I think that it, it makes sense. It makes so much sense. And, and well, the latest one on Shemuras, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, this whole idea of um. Of who we are, who and what we are as human beings, is now yeah. up for grabs. Yeah. We can no longer prove with everybody that you are the child of. We well, can prove it with some people. We can prove it with a lot of people. But there's some people we can't prove it at all. Yeah. And, and you know, and... and Right That's now, really they're having court trials over this, <laughs> and they can't prove paternity. They can't I, even prove motherhood. I, I so uh, that is just something, you know. Uh, you know, I wish we we actually could take this lightly into overtime, but I can't help. There's something here too, and I will tell you. Part of my, and I'm going to take this to another level, because when you started talking about this, I didn't expect to have a personal relationship to this in a physical way. But yeah, one of your the mother. things, PMA, yeah, yeah, that's pretty personal. Your own mother. <laughs> but one of the things that's also very personal, because I did have these series of experiences, and one of the most powerful things that came through was that at a consciousness level, we are basically everybody that ever lived and and that yeah. um we can we can tap i mean well they're they're they exist within well, all of us what i is mean it? even five gen- generations you go five generations back it's something like that and and you find out that we're all related well it's not even just that it's at the consciousness level is that that oneness it, it's as if we are the living Akash. I guess that would be the best way. Yeah, I we're, we're the processing living a, a, this recently as yeah. to what I I experienced. But see, I didn't get any of this. I mean, we're just, I can't talk about it now. It's right at the end. But <laughs> it's just part of my experience. And I have been exploring this. And these are not things I would have understood necessarily. But it's as if we, we are the Akash. I mean, we are us. We are the person that we are. We're the divine, but we're also basically everyone. So anyway, when you say that multiple people can occupy you, it's like technically technically everybody in the multiverse. <laughs> I guess. Well, yeah, that's I mean, what they're finding out And whoever lives and, and whoever will. <laughs> yeah, they're absolutely true in it. So, yeah. uh, but, and, but, and it's... 
it's becoming really complicated in court cases when they're trying to prove motherhood yeah, and paternity. Yeah, from a physical, from you a know, physical it's like, standpoint. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can't that's... prove it anymore. Well, you know, one of the things I want to do here, because the live show is getting close to ending, yeah. and I want to yeah, make well. sure that people know where to find your work again and, and um, you know, what you're up to, you know, for the live <laughs> audience goes down and uh, well of course of course of course i'm looking for there's a call for volunteers get on my website again www.pmhatwater.com right there on the home page it's a call for volunteers i'm looking for anyone who thinks they might have had a near-death experience or something like it or womb memories between womb and the age of five so I'm going after the little one. I'm reprising my uh, research with children. And so I'm going back. Uh, and for specific reasons that we don't have time to go into now. Um, but you want to get future memory. Everybody get that book. It's not a yeah. book. It's a labyrinth. Yeah, every sentence, a, every page, yeah. every paragraph is part of the math I use to create the labyrinth. It is a real labyrinth. Um, and it's created, you know, it's like a psychotronic device. It, it was created for you um, to rise in consciousness to the next highest level possible for you. So the book is a brain changer. We've got near-death experiences, the rest of the story. It summarizes my first 33 years of research. By the way, I'm still researching. I thought I was going to quit, but God had other plans. And, yes. you know, I've written all kinds of books, so, hey, get on there and look around. Yes. And, and I've got and some DVDs out there now, some videos. Yes, so, so much. So so live audience, I just want to tell them real quick when we're going to be on the air again. Wednesday, November 11th, 7 p.m., Sabrina Fritz, a new guest, is coming on to talk about her part in a wonderful new book about women, um, higher consciousness women and, and how they're changing the world. So so anyway, I just wanted to get that out, that we have another show coming up. But, um, you know, I just want to thank you so much, PMH, for, for being here again. As usual, it's a wild and wonderful time to talk to you. Oh, we love time. to stretch the envelope here. <laughs> well, you you always, you know, you have a knack, I swear, to, to just bring out surprises. Every time you you're on this show there's a there's always an astonishing surprise, I, I feel for, for all of us. I feel it personally and just you know, in general. You just um you're just Well I'm a very curious such, person. Oh, you are and, you uh, are an explorer. Yeah. <laughs> I wanna get to the bottom of things. Yes, yes, and and I'm naturally curious about the things that that you explore, and and I know many in the audience are, and 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 so it's just such a delight to have you on here um, every so often. Well, it's, I, it's I enjoy it to be there with some someone who just sort of allows me to cut loose. So to everybody, <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 love life and oh, love the yes. people around you. Give them all a big hug. Yeah, what better advice. That is beautiful. Um, so so thank you again for being here, and I look forward to next time, whenever that is. So, Okay, uh, my dear. I'll see just you later. Take care. You too. And we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Um, just a note to the archive audience, those of you who've been listening to the podcast, um, and all, as always, welcome across time to you who've been here. I always have to say that because I know that you're, you've been here with us all this time, and I just want you to know that, that I feel your presence, and I'm thankful to you, thankful to the community around this show. I'm thankful that I got to give a few of you hugs over the weekend and and at the expo, what a wonderful time that was. And, you know, hopefully at, at it looks like the next event I'll be doing will be in February at the Conscious Life Expo in L.A. That's around February 22nd, I know, that weekend. And um, I hope that some of you would start planning to get out there because it's time to start planning for that time of year. And um, I always enjoy meeting people out there. That said, um, once again, yes, we do have a new guest coming on, and that's just in a couple days, um, Wednesday, November 11th, 2015, at 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, I'm just going to be so delighted to welcome someone who's actually been a Facebook friend for a while and and just an enlightening soul, Sabrina Fritz. And um, we're going to talk about, you know, this wonderful new book that's coming out and um, that many women have participated in. And so just a very interesting project. So that look for that and um, just go to FrontierBeyondFear.com for the upcoming schedule. I haven't decided my schedule around Thanksgiving yet. I think there will probably be a show next week um, or a couple, and they're not on the schedule yet. But, um, you know, somewhere around there I'll probably take a little bit more time here and there just to to take a breather, which I enjoy every once in a while, just to, to and also to give people a chance to catch up because I know that I see that happening. I know that you enjoy catching up on those shows that, that you've missed. Whenever we do this, we're coming into that holiday period again, and I hope that as that time comes upon us that we listen to PMH and we think about those around us and even those far away those that, you know, we think about peace and we think about love and we just reach out to everyone. So much like that Finhorn community, that can be the earth. That is the earth. If we allow ourselves to live in that space, PMH told us about some remarkable things coming out of Iran, of all places. People are waking up all over this planet, and it doesn't matter. I mean, that even even that alone might sound, when I use that term, waking up, it may seem a kind of a judgment, and I don't want to say it that way, because what is it to wake up, really? You know, so many of us, we've all been on our journeys. Can we honor, can we honor where each person is exactly where they are on their journeys, because necessarily that must be perfect for their soul path. And if we can get to that point, even while sharing whatever it is we feel we can share to assist those who are looking for things, even those who aren't consciously looking, you know, sometimes there can be seeds and we can learn from one another such wonderful things. People can plant seeds in us. I have no doubt, in fact, I've interacted with with any number of people who don't believe in God, they plant seeds in me all the time. And it's true that you can have a marvelous relationship with the universe 
and not even really think about there being a God, or maybe you think about it and you're not so sure. I know there's people listening, and they're just, we live in heaven on earth. If we could only begin to see it and to create it with our consciousness. And when I hear about Finhorn, I think about just what it is we can create in balance. So take care, everyone. I look forward to seeing you next time. (laughs) 